Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Hebrews 10.19 says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The alternate translation for the term confidence there is the word boldness. Boldness. We have boldness to enter the holy place. Let me describe what that is. In this passage of Scripture, there was a phrase, because I look across, man, we got brand new believers. We got uh, seasoned saints who teach the Word. So we have this broad spectrum. So if you're on one end, indulge me. If you're on the other one, just hold on, okay? Um, But as we come to this, we begin to talk about the blood of Jesus, that we gain access to the holy place. If you were to read the two chapters before this, 8 and 9, it talks about the blood of Jesus having cleansed and made new the holy place, not just in the one made made by man's hands, but his statement that he makes, but the one in the heavenlies, but he has cleansed. And, and beloved, that opens up a consideration for how the death of Christ on earth impacted things in the heavenlies. And that's just one of those open-ended mysteries. We're going to read one of the places where the heavenlies, that is the presence of God, was impacted by the sacrifice of the lambs. really is an amazing thing. But I want us to get this. When we say the holy place, what that's talking about is as we worship, we, we have been called now to enter this sacred place of God's presence and encounter. That's what the holy place was in the Old Testament. You can go home if you're brand new to faith and Google the, temple, the tabernacle or the temple of the Old Testament. And, and in the holy of holies or the holy place. And you'll see all the distinctions. But in this innermost sanctum, this innermost room was a place where there was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant uh, had two or three items in that that were sacred to the, to the journey uh, and, and really the prophetic call of the people of Israel. But in the Ark of the Covenant, there was a lid that was called a mercy seat. On each corner of that mercy seat, they had hammered and shaped figures of the seraphim, the seraphim uh, that we see around the throne of God. So literally, this furniture in the holy place was meant to represent the picture of things in heaven. Now, to add to that, In the Old Testament, it would say once a year, God came, watched, and was enthroned in the the Holy of Holies above the mercy seat, and the high priest could go in that one time of the year, but they would have to sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial lamb as a payment, if you will, for the sins. Otherwise, if that priest enters with sin, they die. It's a scary place. It was a scary place. But something happens that I'm going to pick up next week as we talk about the faces of fear. Something was remedied above all else, and boy, is it a powerful powerful notion. But all the people of God understood that if you enter the holy place, um, or if you see God in his sort of in his unadulterated presence, it's like, it's going to kill me because I'm sinful. We see that in the stories of Abraham as he encounters what many believe to be an Old Testament uh, sort of manifestation of the Son of God. Theologians call it a pre-covenant appearance of 
of Christ. Uh, and then the, of course, Abraham and Gideon and um, Isaiah. All three are presented with this powerful presence of God, and their first response is, I'm going to die. See, we, we don't get that as New Testament and New Covenant believers, but in the Old Testament, the thought of approaching God was, oh, I'm just going to die. That was if, because I'm a sinner. There's no way I can be good enough. You see, the sprinkled blood of a literal lamb, lamb, sheep, once a year got them in. But what Hebrews goes on to say is the blood of the spotless lamb has gained you access in perpetuity. You don't need to fear. And I want to talk about that so much, but just some points of understanding, even in the last two or three days for me, have just moved me so deeply. I'm going to try to stay away from that until next week. But let me tell you what happened this week. Brenda and I were just discussing, and she said, hey, Tom, you know, the the, the time of worship as we come for prayer, typically, offer, typically we offer the occasion for prayer, for needs in your body, immediately before the, that we receive the table of the Lord or communion. And again, I need, I've, I've really been prompted by the Holy Spirit to pay attention to new believers sitting in this room or watching online. And so more than probably I do normally, I'm going, to, I'm going to say things that many of you already know, but as we come to the table of the Lord, the table of the Lord, and again, to the new people, is a celebration, and when I say celebration, a celebration of the body and the blood of Christ. But when I say the body and the blood of Christ, I'm referring to the whole idea of his death, his resurrection, and the overcoming power that comes of that. When you, when you read phrases throughout the New Testament, and it says, the blood, the blood, the blood, very often it's sort of a, um, a poetic container. It's not just referring to the red, drippy stuff that oozes out of my veins, or the veins of a sheep, or even the veins of Jesus on the cross. But that statement, the blood, comes to represent the full expression of of the gospel of God, the good news that we can be saved, delivered, transformed, and be with him forever. That is the message. So when you hear the blood, see, that's code language for us. Man, I'm thankful for the blood. So you can wonder why, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. If you're a new believer, you're going, dude, that is so gross. You know, really? We're just going to, I mean, wow. Thank you, Jesus, for, I don't even know what this means. The single greatest point of reference to the overcoming power of Jesus Christ in all that he brought is the blood. When he died, he became the sacrifice. And the reason why the veil over the Holy of Holies, see, there was this veil that would cover that, that Holy of Holies. And no one could go behind it but the priest. But on the cross, because of the blood, the veil was torn in half. And the light shined in, and we, we talked about what, the reason why on Friday night, I just don't have time here this morning, why talking about the blood and then the idea of a shining light, those concepts, beloved, they meet on the cross of Christ. On the cross of Christ, it said that darkness fell for about three hours. In that same sentence, it said, and the veil was torn. 
And just can I give you this point of truth that I'll unpack and explain later? There's something I hadn't seen before just standing in a moment of worship the other night. That you see, not only would that eclipse pass, darkness wouldn't remain in force. But an eclipse happened on the cross. And the reason it happened there, I believe, is God saying to us, that next moment of darkness where you are a failure, because that's what the word means, only translated, only used two times. In the previous chapter, Jesus looked at Peter and said, I've prayed for you that you won't fail, but you will. And after you do, return and strengthen your brothers. The second place it's used is in the next chapter. A failure is simply an eclipse of the light of God's grace and presence shining on us. But the danger of that is because we were saved from darkness, we tend to view failure as, I guess that's just who I am. No, you are not. And these are not just really cool words to say. It is a critical point of understanding the power and the purchase of the blood of Christ. Please hear me. If, as if, if I could grab every one of you by the face and say this, a failure may put you in a dark place, but a failure is not a permanent return to darkness. You hear me? A failure is not... See, the darkness is who I was. Now I'm delivered from it to, to become uh, Colossians. And Paul says, a child of the light. Fundamentally, I'm changed. I'm not a person of darkness. And it would require this failure named Peter 35 years after the words of Christ to write in 1 Peter, for you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Watch this. Those people who have been called forth to show the excellencies of him who has called us, what? Out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You need to hear me this morning. You need to hear me this morning with everything I can bring to bear. As we come to the, uh, the, the, the cross was the statement that darkness will not prevail. But watch this. Something I didn't see. Not only did he, does he break the darkness to, to, so that we can get out of darkness, but watch this. That same blood is Hebrews 10, 19. It tore the veil. Watch. The veil was a dark place except for that when well, I had a couple of lamps, but otherwise a dark place cut off from mankind. But God says, I'm not just shining the light through the power of the blood to get you out of failure, but to get you in to the holy place before the throne. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. The blood of Christ is not just a remedy to get you out of the darkness of failure, but a provision to get you into the presence of God like you've never been. So the next time you fail... Repent, turn in the face of the adversary and say, you know, it would seem like you'd give up on this because we all know what happens immediately on the other side of a failure. God's going to open a new place for me to go. No, somebody needs to, we haven't done this. Drew, Drew, turn to Jessica and somebody and, and right in their face go, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, no, I mean, clap your hands, all you people and say, oh yeah. No, you're not doing it. What's wrong with you, girl? Do it. I'm going to call you out. Do it. Okay, Tom, you didn't do that. Just Missy. See, y'all are too cool for that. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence in the holy place. So Brenda was talking. We were talking. Morning cup of coffee, as I recall. And she says, hey, sweetheart, I've noticed something about the flow of the service. Every time we go up there, well, there's me, Matt, Pastor Steve, whomever navigates that sort of intersection. We call people forth to be prayed for every week, which, because we believe in the power of prayer. 
And she says, you know, we do it right before we open it up, sort of, you know, before the communion and table of the Lord. And she says, but it just doesn't, and she says, really, nobody really moves until communion starts. And she says, and then, you know, they hang around for after that. She says, oh, what, and she said, uh, you know, what do you think about this? I think we may need to do this or that. And we both commented how that, okay, at the table of the Lord, lots of you begin to move forward. So the people who may have been hesitant, sort of like in the Bible, the woman with the issue of blood, you know, didn't want to just come barging their way in. But the persons who may have needed healing find some sort of social cover or flow because, okay, well, enough people are moving forward right now. I can sort of blend in with the crowd and come down here. And that's good. And we do it for that reason on purpose. But in that moment, just sitting over a cup of coffee, we weren't like praying for each other and shaking the head. I mean, you know, it was nothing. We're just talking. And I really felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, and I turned to him, and I said, you know, baby, I said, I think what's happening there is not social movement, but a spiritual awakening. And I said, I believe that what happens is, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the boldness to enter the holy place by the blood of the Lamb. Can I just tell you this? I said, there's never a moment when we declare the blood of the Lamb and its efficacy, strength, and force that there's not a new attending sense of boldness that overcomes. I said, I think people move at the table of the Lord, not for a psychosocial reason, but for a spiritual drawing they may not even be able to articulate. There's something that just gives them a boldness to say, no, one of the provisions is by his stripes I'm healed. And I might have sat back for a moment, but right now as we bring to bear the full weight and force of the blood of Christ through this focus act of worship coming to the table of the Lord, and believe me, there's, to me there's nothing more sacred. I believe there's something that, that stirs and says, no, don't Sit back in fear. Stand up in boldness. The blood that you're about to celebrate has given you the boldness to come to the throne. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 4.16, just six chapters before this, he makes a statement about the priesthood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 4.16, please, Hannah. And it says, therefore, let us draw near. Here's that word again. Everybody say boldness. With boldness to the throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace to, excuse me, mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We come boldly. I love this. Now, I've got some other stuff <clears throat> written here that we talked about. I, I, I guess I may just have to squeeze past that. But as I talked to Rhea, uh, I said, we need to have worship learning. She says, Oh, I love that phrase. What does it mean? I said, me too. And I said that, I don't know, once every month. I don't know how often. We stop when we're doing an act of worship we all do and think we know and say, let's try and recapture the essence of what's happening here. So let me, uh, let me see. Man, there's some other stuff. Mm-mm-mm. Let me give you a picture of this. In Revelation 5, Revelation chapter 5, and you're going to see an attending boldness that is awakened. And but believe me, I, I can, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. No, let's back up. Let's back up. Hannah, let's go to Hebrews 10, 19, uh, because we're, we're so familiar with this. 
Back to Hebrews 10, 19, and we're going to go through this whole segment. I was going to try to skip over it, but I can't. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence or boldness to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other words, once we understand that boldness, watch where boldness goes. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Now, this language, that means he died, he paid the price by his blood with his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, sincere, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. Can I, can I tell you something? The blood of Christ banishes the fear of approaching God. And I, and I can show you that. Because if, go home and fact check this, the opposite of boldness, the first four words listed in most lexical or dictionary references. Let me see, I've memorized them, but listen to this. Um, the, ant- the antonyms, if you will, the opposites of fear. Watch, confidence. These are the first ones listed. Secular dictionary. Confidence, assurance, trust, faith, boldness. Those first four words listed come from the Greek word for faith. Can I tell you that there'll never be a moment when you overcome fear by fact? It will always be an act of faith. The fact is, Jesus died for me and overcame death, hell, and the grave. That's Revelation. Ephesians, he conquered the the spiritual principalities and powers. That fact then opens us to the faith to step in and say, I'm walking forward as a matter of faith because the fact of his blood has stirred something in me that moves me beyond the restrictions of fear. Now, I'm going to come back to fear next week and why that's an impediment. But watch what happens here. Let us draw near, verse 22, with a heart sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean. He's referring to the, he's using Old Testament language. If you're new in the faith, This book is entitled Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew people who were coming out or understanding the integration of where the old covenant delivered them to the possibilities of a new covenant. That's who he's writing to, okay? And then he says, verse 23, watch. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now see, in times past, we've talked about these next three or four verses because they're the call to community. Just listen to what happens here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Well, there's so many words here I've got to talk about. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can you see the flow of this, beloved? It's talking about the context of believers gathering for worship. But watch the leaping off point that it starts in verse 19. It says, I want to remind you before I mention this next thing, that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that has paid for and paved the way for you to come in with boldness. Now let me talk to you about a couple of things. That it's as if the writer to Hebrews says, let me talk to you about a couple of things that's going to steal that boldness. First of all, is when you're, yeah, because when it says hold fast, that's a nautical term we discovered. It's the task of the um, pilot of the ship to hold it on course or to get it back on course. So what happens when I begin to doubt and wonder and fear? 
Lord, what hope begins to be dwindled. My sense of direction, joy, my, my encouragement seems to dwindle. But he says, I want you to understand that those who don't forsake assembling yourselves together, watch this, please listen. This, this is worship learning. It's why we do this every week. He's essentially saying, when you come together as believers, watch this, above all else, understand that who is just gathered in that room is a group of people who have been invited, invited into the innermost understandings and encounter and relationship with a holy God. And you get to get there by the blood of the Lamb that covers your life, the penalty of sin that draws you in. Now, when you get into that room with others who have not forsaken assembling of yourselves together, let me tell you what the power of the blood of the Lamb not only does in you individually, but notice verse 23, let us... Suddenly the blood for me becomes the power of us. Suddenly when I come into this room, as I begin to worship, matter of fact, one of the passages I wanted to, to talk about and describing, and let me just do this. We'll chop it up into correct pieces somewhere in the future, I think. Numbers chapter 10. I get the fragmentation, just indulge me. You can go home and listen to it in pieces. <laughs> You want to know why we do what we do? In Numbers chapter 10, quickly, verse 2, and it goes all the way through this segment through verse 10, but it is the instruction. Now, we're back in the Old Testament. New believers, we're in the Old Testament. But we learn the shadows and the types of things that usher us to the door of new covenant worship. That's Galatians chapter 3. Paul said that it brings you right to the door. And so it's our job to understand what was the spirit of, of what was happening. So these were on days of worship, but in this passage, they describe trumpet blasts of various kinds. There's a trumpet blast that calls them to the door of the tabernacle for worship. There was a trumpet blast that alerted them. It's time to roll up the tent in the wilderness. We're moving to the next place. The cloud of glory is moving. We're following it. There was a trumpet blast outlined here when it was time to rise for war, and they all knew the difference in the trumpet blasts. But in this one, it talks about calling them to the doorway. Make yourself two trumpets of silver of hammered work. You shall make them. You shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. You see those two different things? And later on, it's going to talk about times of war. When both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to the doorway of the tent of meeting. Let's skip to verse 10. Um, verse 8. The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be to you, for you, a perpetual statute. Verse 10, also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts and on the first days of your month, you shall blow the trumpets. You see, the blowing of the trumpet would cause gladness in the hearts of people. It's like we're going to the doorway of the, uh, of the tabernacle. Moses is going to bring us some new word. And later on, of course, Aaron exercising priestly oversight. But it would cause gladness in the heart because the God of Israel was summoning them to the appointment. The word tabernacle is ultimately tried, uh, um, uh, transcribed. Uh, Translated, a place of appointment. What a gladness of heart. And so here we will start worship service. Watch out. With a song hopefully you're a bit more familiar with so you don't have to think hard. You see, when they blast the trumpet, they didn't have to think about what it meant. It's time to go worship. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's time. 
And in like fashion, we'll typically play a song full of gladness of heart. What was the first song? What? I thank God. Hell has lost another one. Man, that makes me glad, doesn't it, you? Begins to summon you in, and, and those little bridges that are just so easy. Hell lost another one. I am free. You don't have to think about it. Hell lost another one. And before you know it, you find yourself moving. Watch the poetry. The people would hear the trumpet blasts. They would move away from the tents, the concerns, the affairs. Even they would move away from that, and they would come away from that and to the presence of the Lord. The song, the call to worship here summons us from where you live. I don't mean your physical address. I mean the concerns of the weak, the things that would steal your boldness, your confidence. All of that's in that passage from Hebrews 10. It says you, your, your confidence, your hope, your joy, your sense of encouragement. But see, you walk in here into the presence of the Lord and something begins to happen. Hell lost another one. I am free. Hell lost another one. And before you know, you're moving to a place of encounter that you, you didn't even know you were moving. Why? Because you know that song in your spirit. You know I'm one of those that were bound and trapped in sin, and I've been set free. And all of a sudden, your spirit begins to draw you to a place that your mind may not be yet because your mind's still out there. But your spirit begins to draw you into the presence of the Lord just like it did the woman at the well. And all of a sudden you find a heart that's glad and your mind saying, why are you glad, stupid? Those problems are waiting for you beyond the wall. And it's all right, but I'm not beyond the wall. I've been summoned to the presence of the Lord. Now watch what happens. God said, I've called you to a place of worship. Psalm 22, 3 says, thou art holy, O God, who are enthroned on your people, on the praises of your people. <clears throat> The declaration that I, I want to make to you, where did I write this? The call to worship, watch this. If you put that cue up, please, Hannah. The call to worship calls us to him. It calls us to the door. The song of praise, by the way, I didn't read Ephesians 5, I should have, invites him to be enthroned. Watch. The call to worship calls us to the door, our songs of praise. Thou art holy, O God, who are enthroned on the praise of your people. Invite him to be enthroned. Can, can I just have a minute with that? Because that worth, is worthy of an entire sermon. The call to worship summons me to the door of the possibilities of encounter. But that's where worship becomes a, uni, a, a, a bilateral, in other words, transaction. That I respond to the call of heaven and the cry of heaven. And as God always does, he initiates the first action like he did when he took on flesh and died and died on the cross. He initiated reaching those who needed to be redeemed. And one more time, as we begin to worship, we, we have this summons of being called to the doorway of encounter. And then we get to respond with Father being thrown on our praise. I want to say again, a call to worship calls us to the door. The song of praise calls him to the center and the throne of my heart. Beloved, every week when you come in here, you get to do a reset. 
God is aware. Please, I'm going to give you all these pictures from Scripture. Forgive me for doing it all at one shot. But you need to understand why we do what we do in this building. It's not sectarian. It's not Pentecostal. It's not just some ecclesiastical liturgy we found and we feel we need to do it every week. If either it is a deeply biblical and spiritual reason or it is just religious symbolism that is hollow and can do nothing. But can I tell you, there's not an act of worship in here that does not transcend not only the human mind, but the realm of the Spirit. It penetrates through to the other side beyond what my mind can understand. It calls me to a holy, holy, holy encounter with God Almighty, wherein he speaks back and he says, watch, you didn't just come to stand before my throne. You took it and put it in the middle of your heart. Watch, watch in the Old Testament as they approach the holy of holy, the high priest could enter the holy place. Please listen to me. Never said this before. Never thought it honestly before this moment. And God was enthroned. That's what they said. I don't know what they saw, whether it was beaming light, they couldn't feel. But they understood God was enthroned. They also understood that it would have been the most silly thing in the world to walk in that holy of holies and see this pulsating epicenter of essence and all that is and say, I'm just going to grab that and stick it in my heart. That would be so stupid, stupid, stupid. But then comes the New Testament and the blood of the Lamb. And God says, I want you to know that I've called you bold to come boldly before what? A throne of grace. And so when I come in, it's not one I've got to stand back and say, Lord, I know I'm in the holy place and I, I just need to stand off. He goes, not anymore. He says, because the throne you observe and you kneel before is now the one you get to invite to the center of your life. The rule and authority is not just outside me, it's inside me. The throne of God represents the final word, authority, and power of God. He's got the final word on all matter. I walk in here with an ambivalent reality. I've walked in and say, Lord, I know your word declares it, but this week I'm not sure that you have the final word. Every hiss, whisper of the serpent, distraction, deception, condemnation, and failure has lifted its voice. But one more time, I've walked in to this place, gathered with believers. I can make entry by the blood of the Lamb before the throne of God. And God says, I want you to understand why you're so different than Old Testament believers. They could only bow before it, but you get to take it and put it right in the center of your heart. Does anybody get that? That the ruling authority of all is boom. And we step back into life and say, I'm sorry so much scripture this morning. Watch this. Revelation chapter 3. Don't turn there. Hannah, you don't have this. You have New Testament worshipers at the church of Philadelphia that are declaring, I can make my way through the door because he says, I'm the one that holds it open. And if I shut it, you can't come in. If I open it, no one can shut it. But these Judaizers were trying to say to them, you can't. You can't worship God in that way. You can't go through that door. But Jesus said, I want to tell you, they're liars. And the ones that are trying to make you bow will bow. Why is that? Why is that? Because it says, I'm going to call you to come in and not go out. God's saying, I'm going to close the door behind you. What's on the other side of that door, go ahead and read it. What's on the other side of that door is a throne. And what happens is the reality is not only as I kneel before it, but as I embrace it and that authority becomes mine. Listen to this language. God says to them, I will cause them to bow before you. Watch, get this, 
We came in here, all of us, to some extent listening to the voices of failure, condescension, a loss of confidence, situation, sickness or something that were the voices saying, yeah, kneel before that. Kneel before that. But you come in here and he said, no. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. And all of a sudden, we come in and boldly enter before the throne of all thrones, king of all kings, Lord of all lords. And God says, I didn't call you, Tom, just to kneel before it. I called it. I called you to release it through you and put it in the throne of your heart. Where I walk back out sort of like Superman into life, and I face those voices that are saying, oh, yeah, bow here, kneel here. You won't make it here. And you go, bam, bow before that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what worship does. That's what coming and celebrating the table of the Lord and the cross of Christ. I got so many more things to tell you here, but I'm just going to stop. I got to say this. Last thing, I promise. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way... I wish this was doing what it appears to do and just arguing against alcoholism. And certainly it is saying that. But what he's using is just a reference to the thing that would largely gain control of, um, uh, of their social and physical faculties. Or excuse me, mental, physical, mental faculties when you get drunk. But it said, I want you to live in the grip of the spirit in the same fashion that you see people living in the grip of spirits or, the, or, the, or wine. I want you control. Because, see, you, you watch drunk people, they do stupid stuff. They do stupid stuff. They think they're funny, and they're not funny. They think they're brilliant, and they're not. You say, well, you have experience with that? Not personally. But personally, in talking to lots of people uh, under the influence, and you know how they're, well, dude, you know, I was thinking today, and blue cars drove by. Yeah? And you get what I mean? No. You know what I'm saying? They wax eloquent. It's just silliness. And, but God says, if you're going to live in the grip of anything that has the power to take over and seize control of your otherwise normal mental and physical faculties, ditch the booze and embrace the spirit. Because where it's going to take you is into an entirely different place. And then he says, while you're filled with the spirit, comma, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody with your heart to the Lord. I'm just going to say this, another sermon right here. And we're going to vote, okay? Here's what we're going to vote. Uh, no, we're not going to be smart out. Okay. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I don't have time to unpack this. Did I send you that cue, um, Hannah? Can you put that up there, please? The psalms are what I sing about him. Hymns are when I sing to him. And spirit songs are when he sings through me. I want you to see that. My mentor, one of my mentors at, at a distance, I've never gotten to meet him, is Gordon Fee. Brilliant man. And right at the end of his life, and um, Alzheimer's has, has sort of seized him, but just a brilliant man. And uh, this is one of the 14 places that he takes on where it says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, little s, not uppercase. And he builds an absolute defense for why it should be translated 
Spirit, capital S, songs. Which brings me to my conclusion here. That psalms are songs of testimony that I sing about him. And what he's, read David's. It's everything from describing the misery of his life. Oh, Lord, today is a really crappy day. My enemies are chasing me all around. But, Selah, I know you're going to show up and crush the, what, you know. You know, those songs, the psalms, you read through them. They're songs about him. Hymns are when I begin to sing to him. But, you know, once he is enthroned on the praises of his people, watch this. Our great king, can I tell you this? His primary interest in worship is not for him or to him because his worth is not altered by it. Ours is. What happens when the king enters the room and suddenly the worth and endless source of a holy God on a holy throne, glory begins to penetrate, things begin to move, they begin to be altered, and all of a sudden I realize that as I've approached the throne of grace, and I'm worshiping, and I'm making declarations in song and testimony through psalms, and saying, Father, I know you've done it, I've been there in the past, I remember that day, I remember the last time the devil tried, but he couldn't do it, I remember the prayer I prayed, the fasting, the breakthrough for that child when I prayed over it, and then we say, Father, I've come to bless Bless your name. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. I praise you and bless you. But there's a moment when, come here, you stood up. When the Father, stand right here, reaches from the throne, he grabs me by the shoulder, turn me around. And he turns me around with his hands on my shoulder. And he says, all right, that's good enough. Now here's what you need to do. The song of the Lord has gotten me enthroned in you. Now I want you to, to sing, turn and sing that outward to those around you. And that's why it says encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Turn to somebody. I know this sounds funny. And don't anybody not do what I'm going to ask you to do. Tom and Linda, you didn't do what I asked you to do last time. You're going to hell. The... Um, not true. When I begin to sing, listen, something happens. I don't care if you can sing on pitch or not. It says when I begin to sing, I came in, Father, just hoping that the songs I declare about you does something. I'm going to show you what it does. And Lord, as I sing to you, suddenly you're enthroned on the praises that I bring. But once the throne that is before me becomes the throne inside me, you spin me around and say, now, I promised you if you would boldly approach and declare that I would give you not only the power of blood, but the authority of the throne of God that's enthroned right here. Now, son of God, I want you to turn and I want you to sing outward. I want you to realize that your praise makes you a spiritual force, not only in the world, but in the household of faith right here today. So here comes the declaration. I want you to turn to somebody, point your finger and said, you have no idea how much my singing blesses you. Tell them that. I'm not going to have you read the scripture. We're going to worship differently next week because I'm going to walk out at the opening. And for all eight of you who are be, will be here at 10 o'clock, I'm going to announce exactly what we're doing. The rest of the sinners can come in afterwards. But. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5, it's the picture of the lamb having been crucified. He's entered the heavenly places. 
He steps into the holy of holies and the heavenlies that has everything we see in the holies, has the throne, the seraphim, but he steps in between, and all I can say right now is he takes his seat on what I believe Hebrews tells us in Revelation is the seat of mercy, the mercy seat. And he takes his seat, and when he does, then we can boldly approach, as Hebrews says elsewhere. But later on, around verse 9, it says, and they begin to sing a new song. Everybody say a new song. There's two words for new. One means naos, new in time and space. Other one is kainos, made fresh again. Now, before you send me an email, I have no clue why they use kainos instead of naos because that means, essentially, that a song that already existed in the heavenlies somehow took on a dynamism and a force that it didn't have seconds before the Lamb entered the room. Can you just let that sink in? Then the Lamb enters the room. And when the lamb enters whatever, this situation, it says, Worthy art thou to receive glory and honor uh, for you to, to take the book and, and open its seals. For you have so redeemed men or ransomed men from every tribe and tongue and nation. Why? The lamb is there. They begin to worship the lamb. They begin to acknowledge the lamb. And b- verses before, it says they came by reason of the blood of the lamb. Well, you fast forward, that same scenario goes on. Watch, that same worship scenario is in the background going on all the way through at least the 12th chapter, if not the 14th. But in the 12th chapter, with the lamb in the room, suddenly something happens. The adversary that has been relentlessly there casting accusation, suddenly, when the lamb enters the room, the verses that would follow this, after it says, he was cast down, it tells us why. Because these are those who had boldness and confidence to love not their lives even unto death. Watch this. Who overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We are bold overcomers. I'm sorry for this longer than usual sermon of 15 parts. But when I came to that moment this week and I feel like the Holy Spirit whispered to Brenda and me, they don't come because of social movement and precision and provision or cover. They come because of a spiritual awakening. Something beyond what their mind can comprehend. That there's something the blood can do for you that nothing else can do. And suddenly that boldness to come and appropriate healing, deliverance, salvation from my family member, overcoming whatever need or reality may be present in our life. It's the blood of the Lamb that magnetically pulls us forward and we leave not with ambivalence, not in the grip of fear, but fear that's been crushed once again by an awareness that the rule of God has been recentered on the throne of my heart is the throne of his kingdom. That's what happens in this room. That's only part of it. But that's what happens in this room. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.